In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome to Thursday, my friends. To start off this podcast episode from a book by Alice O'Neill, Proverbs, Words, and Wisdom. Wisdom. Although knowledge is not wisdom, knowledge is harmony. And if you know yourself, you will know the gods, for knowing others is wisdom. Knowing yourself is enlightenment. Actually, knowledge is like water for the land. Therefore, learn from the mistakes of others so you don't have to make them yourself. For it's better to know too much than too little. Wisdom begins in wonder, but wisdom only comes when you stop looking for it. And since knowledge takes up no space and learning is a treasure no thief can steal, why not open a school? close a prison. For when you educate a woman, you educate a population. To know all is to forgive all. So leave half of what you know in your head and be aware that still waters run deep. For he who knows does not speak while he who speaks does not know. Of course, not knowing is Buddha. Common sense. They say to attain knowledge, Add things every day. To attain wisdom, remove things every day. And since all sense is not kept under the same roof, even if you know a thousand things, always ask a man who knows something. Indeed, seek education, even if it means traveling to China. But go carefully. For in the desert of life, the wise man travels in a caravan, the fool by himself. It's true. That to get lost is to learn the way. But if you are on the road to nowhere, change the road and don't give up. For wisdom rides on the ruins of folly, and a disaster teaches more than a thousand warnings. A wise man drinks little and believes less, because wisdom is the lifelong attempt to acquire it. 
Indeed, only when a tree has grown can you tie your horse to it. Always remember, everything is relative. So everyone likes justice in another's house, none in their own. And never forget, our first teacher is our heart. That is the wisdom part of wisdom and idiots. Now let's dive into the idiot part of wisdom and idiots. Idiots, beware, wise-looking man, as brains are not found in the beard. And know that all seems the same to someone who knows nothing. Just as in the unknown village the chickens have teeth. Sadly, a fool grows without rain, and there is no royal road to learning. Which is why so often the ignorant are the enemies of wisdom. Remember, a person who knows little repeats it often. So fear a man who only knows one book. Indeed, fear an ignorant man more than a lion. Listen, a fool is known by his laugh, and every fool wants to give advice. But try with all your might, you'll not get milk from a bull. And a dog is no help in a smithy. So only an idiot looks for a calf under an ox. It's better to leave those in error who love error. For by the time an idiot learns the game the players have dispersed, indeed the dogs bark, the caravan passes on. Remember, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and even the stupidest person seems wise if he keeps his mouth shut, which is why a wise man sits over the hole in his own carpet. I thought that would be a nice new segment I'm going to start, kind of comparing and contrasting using proverbs and some one-liners. And for me, there's a lot of wisdom in those old proverbs. It's a way of using language to paint pictures. It's a way of using language to... I would say it's a way of using language like a virus. And when there's a certain pattern of language that we can use to inject into someone else's mind. The right words can be subtly planted into the right person at the right time if you know exactly the right signs to look for. That being said, my friends, we're going to continue to work on our offense today in the world of language. We have been doing quite a bit of work on propaganda We've been doing quite a bit of work on language and we've been doing quite a bit of work on understanding how to make the world a better place using language. That being said, let's kind of go into neuro-linguistic programming a little bit. If you remember in a, last, a few podcasts back, I told a story about how I would wake up my wife on the weekends. And if you haven't caught that podcast, let me just briefly tell you that story again. On the weekends or in the morning, I usually get up first and I will go into my, I'll go downstairs and make some coffee. And at a certain time, if my wife's, before she wakes up, I will come up, I'll make her coffee and I will walk into the room and I will put on her favorite song. 
kind of light. She happens to like Mariah Carey, and so I will come in and I will, on my phone, I will have that song playing. When a hero comes along. And I always try to make sure it's at that one spot. And so when I come into the room, she can hear the music. It's her favorite artist. It's also that part of the song, you know, I started there for a reason because it says when a hero comes along, that happens to be what I am doing. So the first thing she hears when she wakes up is her eyes open, her favorite song, a little bit of dopamine starts going through her brain. She opens her eyes. She sees me. Now that hit of dopamine that's going through her brain is visually connected to her husband. She hears a song. Her eyes see me. Dopamine's running through her brain. She connects all those things together. So she's connected waking up in a good mood. She's connected her favorite song. She's connected the word hero. And those are all ways you can get someone to see you the way that you want them to see you. These are all techniques people use in marketing and media and propaganda. And this is a form of neuro-linguistic programming. This is a form of, dare I say, manipulation. And I think sometimes the word manipulation gets a bad rap because it is often used in the dark arts of media and the dark arts of propaganda. However, it can be an incredibly effective tool in raising children. It can be an effective tool in your relationships. And it can also be an effective shield in not allowing yourself to fall victim to these same techniques. It's like we say all the time, if you can teach something to someone, you know it well. Therefore, if you can use the structure or if you can use the techniques, you can better see them if they're wielded against you. So I wanted to talk about that so that you have an idea of what neuro-linguistic programming is. Let me go ahead and just start with a quote. Life consists of what a man is thinking of all day. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. All right, so let's just jump in here with both feet and try and get some, try and lay down a foundation. I'm hopeful that what you're about to listen to will be something that you can go back from time to time and re-listen to and understand some key points. All right, so in the spirit of Mr. Emerson, let's try and understand how we think. I'm going to give you some key ideas and then some examples of those key ideas. However, I would like you to be thinking of your own experiences and how they relate to the key ideas. Here we go. Here's the first key idea. Our brains interpret the sensory input we get and assign a meaning to it. As soon as a meaning is assigned, it leads to an emotion. This is unconscious and fast, so that we have the stimulus and the emotion. The rest is out of our awareness. All right, let me try and unpack that. Our brains interpret the sensory input we get, obviously. So if you see something, you're interpreting it. 
right? And what is interpreting? Interpreting is translating. So I may translate the experience that I see different, even though you and I saw the exact same thing. You and I may have two incredibly different translations, which could lead to two different meanings. As we interpret that sensory information, we assign meaning to it. And this is where culture plays a huge part because some of us are raised in a different culture. Some of us are raised in different parts of the planet. And so the ideas of right and wrong, good and bad, different and indifferent are vast. So it's important to know where you lie on that spectrum. What are your values? The reason that's important is the better you know yourself, the better you can understand how neuro-linguistic programming works for you and against you. You know what I mean by that? Like, If you are going to try and use the technique of neuro-linguistic programming, it's imperative that you understand the audience or the person or the group that you're speaking to. If you don't, then your effectiveness will be in question. You can, you're not going to get the results you want if you're not speaking or placing the ideas that you want in people's heads. And it's imperative to be good at this. You must know yourself and the people you're talking to. The trick here is that Assigning meaning to events is usually unconscious. It's something that you were taught as a kid. And after a while, you no longer, unless you've read about this, you no longer do it consciously. You see something? Oh, that guy hit that person. Oh, that's bad. You hear someone use some language and you go, oh, that person's probably not that intelligent. You see, you boom, 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 boom. It's quick. It's fast. And because you know it's quick, because you know it's fast now, you'll know that you have, in some cases, a really short window to place a thought into someone else's mind. Usually people are pretty vulnerable when they first wake up, when they first go to bed, when they get scared. You know, that, that's a, on a quick side note. If you ever go, if you're a younger man or woman and you go on a date, you should do something scary. I mean, don't do it. Don't take that the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like, don't try to hurt the person you're with or don't be foolish that way. But if you went on a roller coaster, if you went out on an event that may get your blood moving or maybe get some adrenaline going, that's going to put that, put that other person in a intensified state. And when they're in that state, they're going to remember you better. When people are in a state where their adrenaline's going, be it fear or be it excitement, whenever they're in these other states, these heightened sense of awareness, that is when the real magic can happen. That's when you can really get into someone else's head and do some work. Understand this. That is exactly why the media does what it does. 
That's why people in positions of authority often try to scare you, is that whether consciously or unconsciously, they understand that if you're scared, their words are getting into your head. It's also why it's illegal to threaten people, which has brought about passive aggressiveness and different kinds of threats. Okay, so ascribing meaning to events. That's the first one there. The next key idea is when we learn, we generalize. When we learn, we generalize. This color person robbed that person over there. Therefore, all these color people rob people. The guy speeding past me was in a red car. Therefore, red cars all speed. The guy in, the, in this kind of uniform takes away bad guys. Therefore, the people in these kind of uniforms always take away bad guys. You see, it's, it's, they call those, that's like a heuristic. It's like a mental shortcut that people do so they don't have to do long, hard thinking about it. Not because they're lazy, not because they don't want to do long, critical thinking. It's just a mental shortcut that most people use in order to get on with their day. Right? It's like having the, the doors auto-lock instead of having to reach over and lock them yourself. The doors, when I shut my door, they auto-lock. Therefore, I don't need to lock the doors. So you got to be in charge of your own thinking and re-evaluate and retune the way you think things through. Generalizations can be good. They allow us to save time. They allow us to have a big picture and they allow us to have a foundation on which to judge. However, it is those generalizations that at times back us into a corner. Or it is those generalizations that allow us to be manipulated. Think of the BLM movement. How are people generalizing that? How do you generalize that? Another key idea, still on generalization, is that generalization is how beliefs get formed. Like they, beliefs filter all the different stimuli coming in. The mind doesn't really get raw information. It, it no longer gets to choose. So if you think about that, think about an event that happens and there's multiple variables and each variable is based on a generalization. You see, it gets complicated. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. If you take time to think it through and really understand it, then you can do some fine tuning. However, if you're not going to do that, you could understand how multiple variables, variables based on generalization can lead you to a, a thought process that is going to persuade you to do something you don't want to do. Next key point, deletion. Deletion is when the mind ignores specific sensory input. Right? Maybe you're, you're flying down the freeway and you're gonna, you see something up ahead, 
something fell out of a truck, so you have to swerve and miss it. Your mind is deleting the fact that the car next to the, you that you just passed is yellow. It's deleting the input that you're under an underpass. You know, it's deleting the information that you don't need at the moment. Again, it's another heuristic. And again, it's, it's an effective strategy. That's, that's, these are techniques that are hardwired into the majority of us. But can you think of a time when deletion might not be that well? If there's a subtle detail that you might need to recall? If you think about the process of deletion, then when you find yourself in critical moments, you will instinctually understand the concept of deletion and you won't be as susceptible to deletion. Does that make sense? Let me just do this for you because I love you. The next time you're in a situation, you listening to this right now will be able to recall that situation very clearly without deletion. You will not allow generalizations to fog or muddy the waters of clarity of the situation. Next key point. Distortion. Distortion is changing an experience from what it actually is to some modified form of it. You see, this is a... The term distortion sometimes gets a bad rap. And it's a technique, this form of distortion, that is found in a lot of psychopaths, lunatics, Heroes, successful people. Distortion is something that's found on both sides of the spectrum. And the further you go out on the spectrum of each side, whether it's the spectrum of the hero or the spectrum of the psychopath, it's equally used. Does that make sense? So think about a situation where you saw an event and then you change the details of that event. Lawyers are really good at using this technique to change the picture, the mental picture for the jury. There was a, uh, there's a famous book about this guy called the Iceman. I'll get the I'll get I'll find out the title of it and I'll try to put it in the show notes. But this guy was like a he was a hitman for the mob. And he would he did some really interesting interviews where he talked about why he did the things that he did. He also talked about the morality of what he did or the lack thereof morality. And he used distortion quite a bit. It's also the same techniques that the majority of our scientists use when creating weapons of war. If you think about Oppenheimer or Einstein and 
how their research has led to some of the most catastrophic technology on the planet. When they're questioned about why would you spend so much time and work trying to create something that is going to have such disastrous effects, their immediate answer is usually either patriotism or it is usually something along the lines of in the big picture science is good for everybody and this the chains of science that will come from this disastrous scientific experiment will in the long run better humanity and that's all bullshit that's all just distortion right the true nature of someone's belief may not be appealing either to themselves or anybody else. And that is when they turn to distortion, whether they're the hero or the psychopath. Each of us, the next key point, each of us is a blend of body, brain, and mind. I want you to think about that. The way you perceive the situation, the way you perceive information, the way you perceive the words that are spoken to you, the way you perceive the words that are spoken from you, the way that the world is seen through your eyes. They're all a little bit different. You pick up perceptions through your body, the way you move your hands, the way you see people squint their eyes or touch their nose or run their hands through their hair when they're speaking are all signs that you're picking up. How about the olfactory sense? There are some people who say that when you walk into a room, you instinctually take a deep breath. (sighs) And that deep breath provides information to you via pheromones from everybody in that room. It's a fascinating concept. And I would challenge you to think about that the next time you walk into the room, a crowded room at a party, see if you take a deep breath. If you didn't catch it, it's because you're not paying attention. If you didn't catch it, take another deep breath. Just take a deep breath in through your nose, let it out, and then immediately, what's the first thing you look at after you take that breath? Do you look at the people in the corner, person in front of you? Do you stop and just look around? And try and connect your movement to what you see immediately after taking that first inhalation, after taking that first breath, what comes to your mind? Who are you looking at? That's a sign. That's your body interpreting evidence that you may not be aware of. It's a very important one. And if you can begin to understand that particular situation and pay attention to it, it'll take some time, but you will soon recognize a pattern. And like any muscle or like any pattern, once you understand it, you can increase that pattern and make it more effective and efficient in your life. And this is a really good one. So I really want you guys to try to think about it and work on it. It's something that we all do unconsciously. But if you're you're tuned into it, you can take a deep breath. Just take take a big deep breath and then let it out and see that room. And that room, you, you will see what you need to see in that room. Right? So much 
we think about breathing. So many times we hear about breathing in yoga, but this is like a side part that nobody talks about. You know, we're always talking about breath and breathing, but how much information can you get from breathing? Most people think it's a relaxing technique. Most people think it's a kind of way to clear your mind. And those are all true, but there's something else there, and that is reading the information on the pheromones in the room. Think about it. Practice it. Next key point. The world inside someone's mind is based on five languages. Sight, sound, smell, taste, and feeling. Think about each one of those as a language. Sight, sound, smell, taste, and feeling. The world each person sees, this is the next key point, the world each person sees and lives in is really the world inside their head. It's important to know this one. We all make the mistake of seeing things the way we want them to be instead of seeing things the way they really are. It's not your fault or anyone's fault. It's just that's how we're raised. That's how we are taught to interpret the world. And once you start using this technique of of saying, okay, is that true? You know, on my left arm, I have a tattoo of Socrates. And every time I look down, I see Socrates staring at me. The reason I got that on there, and it's funny because my daughter always asks, Dad, who's that? I have to tell her it's Socrates. What do you, why, why did you get him on your arm? Well, here's the reason. Every time I see Socrates, I think of the question, is that true? Is that true? You should think of that question. Anytime someone ever says anything to you, I want you to instinctually and subconsciously ask yourself the question, in your mind, is that true? If, it, if it's not true, then you don't even have to answer that person. If it's not true, you could think of a fun answer to say. You could think of something silly to say. You can say nothing at all. If it's not true, it doesn't matter. If it is true, then there's a different set of answers that you use. It's a different set of thinking that you can use. Right, then you're going to go to the next step and have to evaluate the level of concern that that particular comment or that particular question or what that person is trying to convey to you. But it backs up the point. The world each person sees and lives in is really the world inside their head. The next key point. People often favor one sense or mode over the others, so they are more visual, more auditory, or more kinesthetic. It's important. You should, you should know which one you are. And once you find out which one you are, try and work to build up your knowledge in the other ones. And you can do that by, if you are a visual person, spend a little bit of time with a blindfold on listening to an audio book. If you're an audio person, Try and put some earplugs in and just take a few moments to see the world as it is. 
or you could use the tele if if you're you could use a television for this too. Blindfold yourself and listen to the TV with just your ears. Or you can put earplugs in and just watch the people or turn the sound off and just watch the people. When it comes to your body, I recommend just for me I like to do an exercise where sometimes before I go to bed I'll just lay there and I will with my eyes closed in the quiet darkness, I will think in my mind, feel your fingertips. Can you feel your fingertips? Can you feel the tips of your toes? Feel your calf. What's that feel like? And when I say that, I'm not taking my hand down and touching them. I'm just in my mind's eye trying to locate that part of my body. And once you tune into it, you can feel your heart racing. You can feel the blood being push to your fingertips. If you concentrate on that, you can do it. Next key point is what people remember is a moving target. It shifts each time someone calls up a memory. I think most people are aware of that. Every time you rethink something, you're reconstructing that memory. It's never the same thing that happens. You're Mixing and matching every time you recall something. It's like that game of telephone. Remember that when you were a kid, one person says something. By the time it makes it around the circle, it's something totally different. The next key point. Our minds can recall what we specifically experienced and combine remembered elements to create new imagined experiences and ideas, which are critical to change and innovation. Okay, so this one is this one is tricky. Have you ever met someone that is a they're a liar? What's the what's the term for that? Habitual liar? They lie about everything. Sometimes for no reason at all. You're like, I I, I know you didn't do that. I've known some people like this in my life and it's it is maddening and fascinating and incredibly odd. A compulsive liar. That's what it is. Like they just lie to lie. Now we all lie. I get it. But you know who I'm talking about. You've all known someone like this. And I've gone some down some rabbit holes where I've just sat and thought to myself, why does that person do that? And the conclusion that I came up with is the same reason everybody else lies. They want to see the world a certain way. Or they want to believe something, so then they lie about it, so they're allowed to have that belief. I'm the tallest person in the world. Right? You guys know that's bullshit. I'm the best looking person in the world. That might actually be true. Come on, guys. That might be true. You know what I mean? But you get my point. Another key point on this is that if you want to tell a lie, if you want to convince people that what you're saying is true, even though it's not true, then you must first get yourself to believe that lie. That means you need to stand in front of the mirror and lie to yourself until you believe that lie. You need to change it in your head so that it's true. You see, this is a sinister 
yet also incredibly effective technique you can use to make your life better. Because the brain doesn't know between what's actually true and what's a lie. So if you can convince yourself that something's true, pow, it is true. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And that's a part of neuro-linguistic programming. You should do these exercises so that you can better understand how to use neuro-linguistic programming on other people if that is your choice. If you want to program other people, if you want to be a social engineer, if you want to be someone who can influence people, you must truly understand how to influence yourself. And the techniques you will have to use to be good at this are going to change you as a person. So be careful. A lot of times what happens is people start to begin using these techniques and they get good at them. And then all of a sudden they start using them in their daily lives and they use them on the people they love. And they, they get so good at it that they just use them to use them to get what they want instead of understanding that this is a technique people should use to better their life. The next key point. Consciously using mental sticky notes is a powerful way to strengthen positive mental states and diminish negative ones. You know what I mean? You know, you know what that is like a mental sticky note? Just do this. Every time I find myself opening the fridge in the middle of the night, every time I put my hand on the door to open it, I'm going to remember that I shouldn't do it. So you just create a mental sticky note. When my hand's on the door, I know it's bad. When my hand's on the door, I know it's bad. When my hand's on the door, I know it's bad. When my hand's on the door, I know it's bad. When my hand's on the door, I know it's bad. After you've done that like five or six times, you've created that mental sticky note. And now when you put your hand on the door, it's bad. Right? So that's the mental sticky note people are talking about. I think, I think I might leave it there for today. Let me just read through a little bit, just a little few more notes without any commentary that you guys can think about. Experience has structure. It consists of sensory impressions. Some are internally generated and others come from the outside world. That blend plus the meanings we add makes up our individual experience. People are like map makers. We make internal representations of personal experience. People's maps are made up of pictures, sounds, feelings, smells, and tastes. There are the languages of the senses that our brains use to record our experience. The map is not the territory. Each of us creates a personal map. It's our world, not the world. People respond to their maps of reality, not to reality itself. All thoughts, memories, recall, imaginings, daydreams, fantasies can be called maps. They are what we respond to. If you change someone's map, their emotional state will change. To all of us, the map is the experience. Maps are the source of emotions and beliefs. Our feelings change when our maps do. Some maps are out of awareness. We are unaware of some of the maps that we have made. It takes language skills and sensory acuity to identify these maps. They are in the unconscious. Behind every behavior is a positive intention. That's super important to think about, guys. 
When we seek the outcome behind the behavior, we will find a universally shared need like love, safety, self-respect. There is no such thing as an inner enemy, yet there are frequently clumsy or misguided inner friends who have positive intentions for us but tend to repeat inappropriate or outdated patterns of behavior. Choice is better than no choice. No choice means slavery or robotic behavior. Having choices in any situation gives each of us the freedom to change and grow. Choice gives us more. People always make the best choices available to them at the time. We do the best we can in the moment and we might be happier and more effective if we had more choices available to us. A system's most flexible element has the most influence. When we have more choices, we have more influence and more ways to get our desired outcome. The meaning of any communication is the response it gets. Communication is not a solo act. It doesn't matter what our intentions are. Communication is defined by the reaction it gets. People work perfectly to produce the results they are getting. If our results are not satisfactory, we can learn to develop more choices so we can get different results. Every behavior is useful in some context. Every capability exists for some useful reason. Anyone can do anything that anyone else can do. Since all human nervous systems are similar, except in the case of actual physical or mental limitations, we can model and learn each other's skills and attitudes. Monkey see, monkey do. Chunking, using small chunks to learn big stuff. People learn easily by breaking big subjects into small chunks. For example, these presuppositions are easy to learn if considering a few at a time. People already have all the resources they need. We either have the experience in our memory banks or we are capable of successfully imagining it. Then we can use it where it's needed. There is no such thing as failure, only feedback. We are always producing a result. If it's not what we need, we can use the unwanted result as feedback to guide us in experimenting with other choices. The quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our communication. How we communicate with ourselves creates our personal experience and how we communicate with others determines the way we are treated throughout our lives. That one is so important. I'm just going to read it again. The quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our communication. How we communicate with ourselves creates our personal experience and how we communicate with others determines the way we are treated throughout our lives. Mind and body are part of the same system and they affect each other. What each of us thinks affects our individual physiology as well as our health. And what we do to our bodies affects our feelings and thoughts. Communication is redundant. Didn't you just say that? I got you. You think you're so funny. Communication is redundant. Didn't you just say that? I got you. You're so funny. Communication is redundant. Okay, George, take it easy.
People are simultaneously communicating in all three systems, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Positive change comes from adding resources. If what you are doing isn't working, try something else. Keep experimenting. You're not guaranteed success, but you can stack the odds. The only way to fail is to quit trying. I love you guys. Hope you enjoy this. We're going to try to hammer out some more offense, neuro-linguistic programming so that we can strike against the people pushing out propaganda so that we can better our lives and then so we can better our relationships and help the people we love. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.